you're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Putnam, and I'm joined today by strongman Zach Hummel, former coal miner, current gym owner, and just all-around beast and family man. So, Zach, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Jeff, what's up, bro? Thanks for having me on, dude. The Rugged Legacy Podcast. I feel rugged and more badass just from being on the podcast. Well, you should. It's a bleeding effect. (laughs) So, you're the owner of Iron Valley Barbell, and you've definitely uh, filled out the whole strongman persona. I've seen a lot of your content and uh, watching some of your older videos, you, you're, you're a monster. Um, was that some, something that, you know, just you wanted to get into fitness wise and own a gym or was, you know, the hard labor jobs, like being a cold miner and things like that. Um, just was like, you know what, I'm getting strong. I'm going to go, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then it kind of developed into it. Yeah, man, that's a great question. So actually my parents bought me a weight set when I was like 10, 11 years old. But naturally, you know, it's in the basement. It kind of was one of those things that just collected dust. And I think my mom used it mostly just for like a clothes hamper to hang some clothes on. <laughs> but uh, my parents ended up separating around the age 12, 13. So it's a couple of years after that. And my mom ended up remarrying. And her husband that she remarried, my stepdad, Dave, he had a full gym set that we used to train people in the basement of his gym, at, at his house. And then he moved all of his equipment into our house when they moved in together. So I had a full gym in my basement. Um, from the age I was like 13 and then my, he ended up actually opening a gym in town. And so that's kind of how I fell into lifting weights. So I was kind of always around it. And, um, I was amateur boxing at the time too, in high school. So I wanted to hit people harder. So they quit hitting me so hard. Well, yeah. And that led to, you know, more weightlifting and kind of spiraled from there. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You went to the strongman route though. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people go into the pure aesthetic side of it. You know, they yeah, go dude, into- you know what? It's, I think a lot of that, a lot of the reason why I averted from going the aesthetic route had to do with two things. The first thing was I'm a little guy. I'm only like five foot seven. Um, at that time I was weighing, <laughs> at that time I weighed like a hundred pounds, you know, maybe soaking wet. And I just had a hard time putting muscle on. And I was always really just, I was drawn towards the idea of becoming harder, uh, stronger, and just like meaner. Like in my town and the mentor I had growing up in weightlifting had served most of his adult life in prison. So when I got out, you know, the only thing that really mattered was when he got out, rather, the only thing that really mattered to him was how fucking strong are you going to be, you know, uh, kind of that whole persona and i watched how he conducted himself in our small town wallsburg west virginia with 2900 people and this guy it's a big city he, yeah it's huge right uh, hey <laughs> where i live i've got 800 so you really be, yeah <laughs> one stoplight no stoplights we've got a blinker nice it doesn't so work this, <laughs> so this guy uh he he had everybody's respect in town if not he demanded it and you know he's like legends were told of the tales of this guy, bar fights and shit. And just, you know, a tough, rugged dude. He'd fit perfect on the podcast here. And uh, that kind of envied that. So I kind of just fell into that route of, I knew that if I wanted to be, you know, respected in what I thought that was at that time through my young, you know, just going into puberty, my testosterone through the roof, wanting to fight all the time. And so I kind of just fell into the strength training realm of things. Yeah. I, I had that same kind of thing. I'm like you, I'm, maybe five six and a half and i'm being generous with a half but i wear boots so it okay, kind of helps out like yeah. five eight we'll call it. <laughs> yeah we'll call, we'll call it five eight you know everybody's six foot on the internet though that's right and bulletproof. but uh and bulletproof but you know i joined the army national guard when i was 17 and i was probably like you 125 pounds maybe you know, I was a small guy, but I liked the idea that strength mattered because you, you grew up in the South and I've, I'm walking around these giant, you know, corn fed beef 
dudes. And I still played football in high school. I still went out there on the field with the big guys. I was, I was always that guy that never wanted to be like, well, he's too small. He's not going to go do it. I was like, Rudy, I don't mind. I'll go out there and I'll get pummeled, but it's going to be fun. But when I started, uh, you know, after I only did, you know, a few years in the guard, but after that, and I started getting into the manual labor jobs, I didn't care how good I looked. I just wanted to be strong. I wanted to be that little guy who could pick up a pool table on his back if he needed to, yeah. you know, and it, cause we're obviously never going to be the ones that are six foot five, 250 pounds walking around looking like captain America, you know, right. it, it, it mattered about being strong though and being able to, you know, swing that hammer as much as you have to. And bro, those, those guys, no offense to anybody listening, but the show ponies are a dime and a dozen. Anybody can have abs and look good, right? Not everybody can be strong. It takes a different discipline and a different level of crazy. When you see someone deadlifting big weights, you see them squatting big weights, you see them moving in big weights, you see them picking up big ass rocks and putting over top of their head. A, because it's crazy and hard to pick up and B that rock could snap and break your head anyways. Like there's a certain level of people you have this certain level of craziness and those are the people who typically want to pursue themselves in strength. Every time you hear someone say, ah, I don't deadlift because the risk, the risk doesn't, it's not there for me. Or, There's no ROI for me. The risk is more than a reward. And I'm saying you're exactly right. And that's why you always be weak. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But that is truth. That's why you always suck at deadlift. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned there's a certain level of crazy to it now. I've never done it. I've done some crazy outdoor kind of jobs, but there's a certain level of crazy to saying, you know what, I'm going to go two miles underground and mine coal, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely something crazy about that. Uh, Most definitely what, dude. And, and the people are the people, uh, you, you notice it a lot with the people you're around when you get underground, how to how crazy these guys are. Yeah. I imagine, um, you know, we were talking before we, you know, we started recording and you were saying you, you went back to West Virginia because you wanted to be around family. And the first thing you got into was coal mining. Was that just because of the availability or did you, were you drawn to that level of danger? A little bit of both actually. So I, my first job ever was roofing. And when I got out of roofing, I had graduated high school. I went and tried my hand at the first uh, one semester in college didn't do so well failed out of business school actually ironically enough and um, my buddy was like dude they're paying 24 bucks an hour to iron work out in Colorado you want to come so it was like dude of course I tell my mom like hey I'm leaving Friday it was like a Wednesday I'm like hey I'm leaving Friday to go iron work out in Colorado 24 bucks an hour I said, you can't beat it she's like oh, you know she didn't know what to say so I went out there and I worked for a couple months out there and you know, I was just really, you know, I was 19. So I'm missing friends. I'm missing family. Everyone's in college, you know, having a good time. So I was like, I want to be back and I want to be part of that. So when I came home, I was already accustomed to making good money and spending good money. And at that time, I'm, you know, doing a lot of drugs. I'm partying a lot. So I was like, I need to accommodate my lifestyle. So the only thing that really would accommodate that back home is coal mining. There's not a lot of availability for jobs in the Ohio Valley. But on top of that, if you're a coal miner, everybody knows you've got money, you know, you get all the chicks and then obviously, you know, everything else that kind of comes along with that lifestyle. But I am definitely drawn to the more at risk job or even that, I mean, that's even my training portrays that the more at risk exercises, you know, every day on my social media, you see people, Oh, you're going to hurt your back. You know, it's, I'm always been drawn to the things that are more dangerous because I think it requires a more mental focus and it makes me a better human being. Well, yeah, you know, there's that saying, you never feel more alive than when you could die. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Men understand this more uh, than anybody else, especially men who are actively in these fields or just uh, have that desire to push themselves, which every man should. But men seem to walk the fine line between life and destruction which is why you always see men are the first ones to volunteer for the coal mining jobs or we're the first ones to volunteer to just stand in the desert for 10 hours a day swinging a sledgehammer you know we're the and first ones that, to, that's like we wear it as a sense of pride oh yeah absolutely you know, you know we're prideful for it too like oh i'm you know like 
there's nothing. We literally spent the first 10 minutes talking about the hardest jobs that we had. You yeah. slinging a sledgehammer for 12 hours a day, you know, 16 pound sledgehammer and me working a thousand foot on the ground. Like we couldn't wait to share those stories with each other. No, because it, it, it's similar to uh, like a good handshake between men. You know, if you get that, you know, limp dead fish handshake, you know, this guy's never really done anything. And you're just like, oh, you know, you haven't paid the price of admission uh, to be one of the tribe. You know, that's why, that's why we fight when we're younger. You said you got into a lot of fights. I got into a lot of fights. I was, you know, just the other day, you and I were, uh, we shared some of the crazy things we did when we were kids, you know, uh, writing down the, you know, uh, a country road in Western North Carolina, standing in the bed of a pickup truck, slinging river rocks at road signs, you know, those things are fantastic to do, but they're risky. They're dangerous, but we wear those things. Yeah, you have to be able to be willing to put your skin on the line. And it's, you know, when you get around these people too, it's like, I told this to Ashley, when I first moved to Indiana, I didn't know anybody when I moved here. So I moved here for a sales job. When I got out of the coal mines, I moved here for sales. That's why I got out of the coal mines was to try to try my hand really at what I'm doing right now. And um, so I took the chance. I moved out here. I worked for a supplement company called Muscle Farm. And I wasn't out here, but three or four weeks and I realized People are a lot different in the metro area than what they're, I'm, I'm typically used to. And I started to oh, yeah. notice the, the demographic of guys were, and I came out of the one of the most rugged professions there are. I'm talking, if my boss said something, go fuck yourself, motherfucker. Uh, I just did a podcast with my buddy and we were talking, he's a coal miner as well. And we talk about how we were in just as many fist fights and, and scuffles underground as what we were in high school. Like it was no thing just to get into it. Like it's a completely different world in atmosphere when you go underground. And so when I come out to Indiana, I'm at a supplement shop. It's not three or four weeks. And, and my buddy talks about this. He actually works for, works for me now. Uh, he was doing customer service at Muscle Farm at the time. He goes, we got a call. And this guy goes, we have your Indianapolis rep. He's trying to fight our franchise owner of the GNC. <laughs> so uh, the guy was talking shit to me. So I told the guy to go fuck himself. And here I end up getting a call from the president of the company. I guess you're not supposed to talk to people like that in sales. So. I learned a lot about sales my first month in. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, you know, I work now in the automotive uh, manufacturing industry. And while it's still a pretty hard job, uh, a lot of it's automated and robotics now. And it's the first inside job I've had, you know, in a while. Mm. But like you said, we used to, if we had problems with somebody out in the field, you know, we'd, we'll handle that shit behind the Connex. Yeah. You know, nobody, and there's a lot of people right now going to Google a Connex and see what that is. <laughs> but, you know, we go behind the Connex, we settle everything and we come back out and it, it is a different culture. It's, 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 it's also respectable though. Like I've never been in a fight with someone I didn't shake their hand after. Yeah. And you'll find that people in these cultures, whether it, you know, and I talked to Bobby Dino about this a while back, like the prison culture, you know, and the the military culture and a culture in a, like a field with like oil hands or coal miners or uh, manual labors. You're not going to find many soft people out there. Everybody out there is strong. They're aggressive and they'll probably punch you in the mouth given any type of excuse. 100%. But that's what, it's, but it's that's what makes about it. about toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's the most definitely the most beautiful. Yeah. But everybody there is very polite to each other because they know they can get punched in the mouth for not being polite. So you don't throw down unless you really have to. Yeah. And you don't just run your mouth saying to some bullshit, like the stuff that I see on social medias, uh, especially on Twitter, I'm way more active on Twitter this, uh, the past about eight months than I've ever been. Um, I've had Twitter since like 2000, whatever, whenever it came out, basically I've had Twitter, but I really just started actually utilizing as a business this past six, eight months. And since I've been growing my following, I was, I've already had a pretty, uh, been pretty grown up following on Instagram. So I was, I'm kind of used to people's opinions, but Twitter was a totally different ball game when I started seeing how people respond. And that's when I'm started recognizing that I need to start taking a step back. I need to focus on, not allowing obviously other people's opinions to dictate my emotions and how I'm going to conduct myself because 
our personalities, this, this blue collar, if you want to call it blue collar culture personality is 100% at war with the opposing white collar, if you will, culture. Oh, of course. But they're, they're two different species. You know, people try to turn around and say, you know, well, the white collar, one example I use is, uh, you know, modes of currency. You know, we're not even the same denomination of currency, you know, mm. as the white collar individuals. We're on a different operating level because most people that are blue collar come from this background of honor and not taking shit for being dishonored in, or disrespected in any way. You know, where we come from, you, you are polite as fuck or it's war. Or you get around these guys who are, you know, from the white collar backgrounds. And, you know, it's kind of like what you see, like in the typical stereotype of uh, like the New Yorkers, they just walk around flipping each other off. And, you know, it, it's nothing. That's the culture I was talking about. I don't know if it's white collar, but that's the exact culture I was thinking in my mind. Yeah. And to them, it's nothing. You know, to us, you're like, we, we can't have that. Bro, Jeff, that's why I had – I put this on Twitter probably five months ago maybe. Maybe it was last summer. And I put, if you flip me off in your car, you should 100% expect for me to get out of my car because that's what you're implying to me. And oh, it's not yeah. worth it. You got to realize, Zach, it's just not worth it. How if he has a gun and how if he kills you? Like, motherfucker, my, my integrity and my character is what's worth it. I can't walk around with a fucking hole in my soul – thinking that I just let this other dude punk me because he has having a bad day and he's learning that he's going to respect me. If he's going to see me like this, he's going to show me respect because I'm going to respect him. But it also puts it when I'm having a bad day, I don't get to a stoplight and flip somebody else off because I'm also wise enough to know, hey, I've got myself in some situations acting out that I didn't want to get myself in because I'm more aware now because I've been punched in the mouth. Yeah. You know, most people who are quick to jump to uh, you know, insults and fighting words because fighting words are a thing. You know, it's not just, you know, sticks and stones break my ball. No, no, no. Sticks and stones are usually used in retaliation for the words. You know, <laughs> that's just how that a lot of us are built. And yeah, you know, it gets mocked by the ones who just don't understand it. But again, we're not the same species. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we mock them. You know, it's easy for me, you know, the same person who, I like to say this all the time. I'm like, oh, you're going to hurt your back. You're just a fucking sissy. Yeah. I love calling people sissies. It's just a little bit nicer term than being a pussy. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and again, it's, it's that pride that we have knowing that we've done hard shit and we are arrogant bastards because we'll look at the ones who mock us and the ones who, you know, we'll laugh and look down on the blue collar life and we just, well, you couldn't handle it. Do you think that this culture can be adopted by someone who didn't grow up in it? Uh, yes and no. I think, I think it's just how you're built and hardwired. You know, it's more of the hardware than the software. Uh, I mean, it, I guess it could be if you put anybody into a certain type of situation or culture uh, for long enough, uh, they'll develop and adapt to it. I mean, I guess you see that all the time with guys who come from this white collar background where, you know, words don't really mean anything. Uh, integrity and honor aren't even part of their vocabulary. And then they get thrown in prison because they made a mistake. And next thing you know, they're in gladiator school mm. and they either have to adapt or they die metaphorically or literally. But I think it's a yes and no, maybe. I have a buddy. Um, actually, I've met him since I've been in Indianapolis. And I would consider him far more on the white-collar spectrum in relation to the blue-collar. However, now he's in a blue-collar hustle. He's starting up a business. He's growing in the last couple of years. And he's doing a phenomenal job and doing a great job of connecting the community here in Indianapolis as well. But what awesome. I noticed in him is he has this, even though he comes from this white-collar ish he has a lot of these hardcore blue collar if you will traits what i mean by that is he he developed this chip on his shoulder for basically his dad his dad had wrote his life out for him you're supposed to be this you're supposed to do this you know you're a doctor or whatever you know the hell it's supposed to be you're supposed to go to this college you're supposed to do this so he created this hardcore gritty chip on his shoulder based around 
what he didn't want, what his dad wanted him to do and what he didn't want to do. And he conducts himself with this work ethic and this hustle and this grind and also this character of a blue collar guy. So I always wonder that because I haven't met a lot of them. A lot of these guys who I, I feel like come from more of the leftist, white collar, whatever you want to look at it, like uh, kind of culture who are able to actually have this blue collar culture mindset and focus. But this guy was one in particular. So I think a lot of times it might have to go down to, you know, picking something that you have a little bit of your chip on your shoulder. You can get around people too. And you can tell this guy got, he, he's operating at a different frequency than I am. And it often has to do with that chip they have on their shoulder. Yeah. I, you know, I guess we carry it. Uh, anything from our past. Uh, obviously, you know, everybody's read about mine, you know, growing up in the South and then losing everything, becoming homeless and having to live through all of that with a wife, you know, who was pregnant and kids. And now I guess I, I have this chip on my shoulder where I'll get hyper aggressive if that is ever threatened again in any way you know if i'm if you're if i ever get this inkling that i'm gonna lose everything oh it's fucking war and you know it's it's something that i'm going to fight as hard as i can in any way that i can you know and i guess that's why i'm like hustle hyper now is because i i've got this chip on my shoulder that i'm never gonna let that happen to my family again yeah, it's like, dude, it's like that's the fuel. That's the, that's the diesel that you put in the truck, right? It keeps it moving. Yeah. Dude, whenever I was – I've been in those particular – like we relate to a lot of those things that I have at the same time. I was a lot younger whenever I had gone through uh, more of those adversities that I had faced in my life as far as homelessness. And uh, never was homeless but had to heat the house at the stove and never had food. And uh, growing up on welfare and food stamps, you know, being in these situations – but when I was there, I knew what it was like to be in that particular situation. And I knew that in my mind, as I was going through it, I'm never going back. No matter what the fuck I have to do, I'm never going back to this situation. So it doesn't matter. Like you said, I have this hyper aggressiveness. Like I'll work fucking 60 hours in a row if I have to work 60 hours in a row. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. You know, a lot of people have never felt what it's like to actually struggle. And you're fucking seeing it right now on social media. It's been the government said shut down for two or three weeks. <laughs> And everyone's breaking under pressure. And it's, it's understandable because not everyone is dealt the same cards. Not everybody's had the luxury of having adversity in their life. And why I say luxuries, there's always something to learn in adversity. I've learned far more from my adversity than I ever will from my accomplishments. My adversity has led to every single accomplishment I have. And the reason I even have a social media channel right now and a podcast and everything I do is all based around the adversity that I was over to overcome. You know, Jeff, you're supposed to be a statistic, bro, just like me. We're not supposed to be on a podcast right now leading people, you know, leading leading influencers and business owners. This is craziness, right? You're homeless. How in the world can this guy ever get on a podcast and tell anybody what to do? But yet you've built your firm foundation off of that adversity. That's what gives you credit. Yeah, and <sighs> you see a lot of the, uh, the LARPers, you know, the live action role players, you know, they're hard asses and they're hard asses until we have a government shutdown and they can't go to work and they're forced to stay in their homes, you know? And so now they're panicking. Yeah. You know, and they've never had to deal with anything, but what would you say is one reason right now people are panicking most about being their home from what, what you're seeing and maybe some of the data that you're collecting. Is it fear of finances? Is it fear of self? Fear of realization and recognition of the person that you're with? Fear of realizing that I got to work with my kids actually and not just send them to school? I think it's more about uh, their escape route has been cut off. A lot of people use their jobs. A lot of people use uh, their hobbies as an escape to get the hell away from a problem they either have with their wife, with their kids, their home life as a whole, whatever it is. And that escape route is cut off and now they're forced to face it. Wow. I've never looked at it through that perspective. You're so right. How many people run away to go to work? Yeah. You know, uh, I was that guy. I used to run away to work all the time and I used the excuse, well, I have to make as much money as possible because I don't want to end up homeless again. But really, it was because when I was homeless, my relationship got shattered with my wife, you know, because obviously she's not going to have a whole lot of faith in me if I've got us all living in a friggin' hotel room 
and it had right. you know the, the self hatred and the shame and all this other and the uh, the self depreciating attitude, and I used work to escape from it. Mm. And of course, you know, as things picked up and I got a steady and stable and all this other again, I was able to start rebuilding those relationships. But you got a lot of people who've never really had a reason to rebuild their relationships because you know what? I'm busy. I got to go to work. She's going to do her thing. Kids going to do theirs. And now they're stuck at home with a spouse and with kids that they don't know. They live under the same roof and they don't know. They don't know who they are. Mm. Man, I'm telling you, that's, that's something, by the way, I appreciate that perspective. I was, uh, that was a perspective I've never looked through. So I appreciate that perspective. Um, something that I've noticed with a lot of the communication that I have with some of my middle-aged friends who have some kids, um, are dealing with a lot of those very similar issues. They don't know their kids. You know, I was chatting with one guy and he was talking about all the stress that he had in his life. And a lot of it had to do with this e-learning that the kids are under and, you know, his wife there and they're, they can't find their family dynamic. And, you know, I stopped him for a second and said, Hey man, you know, recognize your kids are your biggest blessing. That's why you had three of them. You wanted more kids because they were your biggest blessing. And he's like, well, I didn't, when I had the kids, I didn't know that school was going to be closed. I said, Oh, you have kids just to be able to give them away, man. I said, you need to rechange your perspective. You got to rechange how you're looking at this particular situation. Cause I hear a lot of parents and hear me out. I'm sure. Cause I don't do the e-learning stuff. Ashley does at her home. So it's nice on me. Cause I'm not the most educated one, right? <laughs> I'm not patient enough to homeschool my kids. My wife with, you know, this innate nurturing side that she has, you know, she handles all of that. I'm, I was trying to help my daughter earlier and I'm just like, babe, come handle this. I can't, you know, I'm going like, to teach you how to climb off. a tree, honey. I, we go outside and climb some trees, you know, like I gotta go, I gotta go talk to Zach. You do this. <laughs> uh, but you know, I know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress that parents are under, but I think more parents are starting to recognize now, man, did I have kids because I truly wanted to have kids? Am I married because I truly wanted to be married or am I married because culture pushed me into it? Am I married because my family kept on putting pressures on me? Am I having kids because grandma kept asking me when we're going to have a baby? You know what I mean? I think a lot of people are having to open their eyes up to a lot of the choices and decisions that they made in their past. And they're going to have to like begin to realize how to cope with those and also how to see them through new perspectives. Yeah. And you know, I like that about, uh, a lot of your content, everything I've seen from you pretty much is family oriented. You've always got your family involved. Uh, you guys are doing like these, you know, family workouts in the gym, you know, everybody's involved. And have you found that you're enjoying that more because you don't have to send the kids to school? Oh yeah. See for us, I, I love our particular situation. Um, because crew is so Ashley had crew in a uh, marriage prior to me. So we have split custody of crew. So a, the first thing is the only way that I was able to make our relationship work five years ago was the fact that she didn't have full custody of him. So we have 50, 50 custody of crew. So that was the very first way I was even able to find myself into being a stepdad. I never want to portray myself like I'm this ultimate father figure, right? Um, right. The way I was able to kind of find myself into this particular position is I love mentorship. And it just so happened that we organically grew our relationship and my relationship with crew. So over these years that has crew and I have been developing our relationship, we have something very unique and original. So our relationship now, he's at, the, he's at eight years old. I'm like the coolest guy in the world to him. So at this particular time for us, it's excellent because when we have crew, he really wants to, you know, he's into like wanting to be active. He's into wanting to be outside. He's kind of into all the things that I already enjoy doing, or maybe it's because that I've kind of helped, you know, mentor him to enjoy these type of things as well. You know, the physical fitness and staying healthy and being outside. So this whole quarantine has actually been great on us because we both, Ashley and I both are entrepreneurs and essentially works in the salon two days a week. And the other day she works for herself. So we're used to being home. We're used to the summers on having him all the time in the summertime and all that time. So we kind of just fell right into like, Hey, sweet. We can, uh, you know, get these extra products done. And we went down, down state for a couple of, I went down state for two weeks just to hang out as a family. So that's been, it's actually worked out really good in our particular situations. But like I said, a lot of it was because of all the pre-work we did and also the situation that I'm in. Yeah. With uh, Melissa and I, 
you know, all of our kids are ours, you know, all nine of them. <laughs> nine? I didn't know you had nine kids. Yeah, I've got nine. There's only one girl, though. Oh, wow. Which I'm really glad it's not the other way around. Right. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I'd survive with eight girls and a wife. Yeah, I, I would just take the boy and we would live outside. We get the shit. Yeah. yeah, if that was the case. We're just going to live outside in a tree or something. But, you know, for us, we've we've been working on getting things to where we're more more self-sustainable and less reliant on public schools and this and that and the other. Um, my 14-year-old son, uh, he came out as gay two years ago. And when that happened, he started having a lot of problems at school, kids picking on him and all this other. So we pulled him out. We started homeschooling him. Everything settled that way. And our goal was to get all of the kids homeschooled uh, by the end of 2020. Oh, wow. Well, aside from the two oldest that are still in the house, my two oldest kids, my two oldest boys, uh, they're both grown. They're living out in Texas doing their own thing. Um, but the two that are in the house that are the oldest, uh, my 17 year old and my 16 year old, a 17 year old graduates in May. So he's done. And then my 16 year old's graduating in December. So he's done a half a semester early and he's planning on joining the Navy. And so we were only going to focus on, you know, 14 year olds already homeschooled. And then we just have the 13, the, tw uh, the 11, uh, the seven and the five and just get those homeschooled. Well, when the coronavirus shutdown happened, we got forced into homeschooling everybody just mm. immediately. And it's such a better dynamic with the kids be able to get up, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning and chill, tidy up their rooms, eat some breakfast, sit down at the table at nine o'clock, do schoolwork for three hours and they're done. Right. Much rather than we get them up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, get them dressed and ready. They're out the door by six 45, get on the school bus, go to school, come home at three 30 in the afternoon. Then they've got schoolwork and all this other, but it's brought us closer together as a family with all of us home all the time. Oh, I could imagine most definitely, especially with you being home now too. And it's awesome that your wife, that you guys are already starting the homeschool things. Are you guys putting out any like tips and stuff right now for people who are in that particular realm, because I've seen a lot of people struggle with the whole homeschooling. Uh, we are working on starting a, uh, a project where we're going to do uh, a parenting guide. Nice. But that comes after I finish the book that I'm working on now. So it might be awesome. a little, so it might be a little bit, but what, what's the current book you're working on? It's called leading your wife, a man's guide to becoming the patriarch. A lot of people aren't going to like that, but that's okay. I don't need that's everybody okay. to like me. Hey, remember, it, it, I remember a buddy of mine. He's he would he'd fit right in on this podcast with us too. His name's Dillion, and um, so what Dillion does is he collects porta potties. So basically, he's a guy who drives around, cleans the porta potties, gets the porta potties, whatever. Shitty job, right? Yeah. But Dillion like is one of the most hard nosed motherfuckers I ever met, and I sat down with him, and we just jive. He's one of the one of the first friends I had in Indianapolis that I'm like, okay, this guy's a lot like my buddies back home. And me and him are hanging out one day at breakfast and I'm pitching this idea to him. And I'm like, but listen, man, I just don't think people are very similar to you said. A lot of people ain't going to like this. He looked me dead in the eyes and he goes, then it's not for them to like. And it like changed my perspective for the rest of my, literally my business flopped upside down. I go, you're exactly right. Like everything I do doesn't have to be for everybody. And I've always subconsciously known that and even conducted myself a lot of times in that manner. But when it comes to like drawing revenue and leading and how I want to portray myself and the legacy I want to leave, I sometimes get caught up in these hiccups of trying to please people. And I'm like, cause at the end of the day, I love having friends. Like you posted, I'm a hugger. Like, dude, I, they won't let me greet at church cause I'll hug and kiss everybody. I mean, I literally love people. I love to please people. I love to be able to, be able to just offer. I love to have my friends over. These things really get me going. But to sometimes at a fault. So I got to stop back and say, hey, listen. And I think a lot of it has to do with my past life. I was completely opposite where I was constantly trying, you know, get in fights and be that hard-nosed guy. And then I kind of switched to this side. And now I'm finding myself somewhere in the middle 
where I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to please everybody, and that's totally fine. But I also want to make sure I don't ride that line of constantly being a dickhead. And then I'm on this other line of possibly like, well, I also don't want to be a pushover. Yeah. And you being in the fitness industry, I know you get a lot of pushback on what your workouts are, what kind of workouts you do, nutrition, because there's a lot of experts out there. And a lot of them have very valid, you know, points and ideas and science backed data to support their positions and what they do. But you know, you were talking about earlier, if you have, you have those people that'll sit there and scream, oh, you're going to hurt your back. I, you know, you're doing, you know, Z presses with a kettlebell sitting down on the grass, or you're lifting this 250 pound rock over your head and standing on one foot while you've got a rolled ankle. And, you know, you got, yeah. And it's, you've got all these people who are going to challenge everything because you have this image. I mean, the aesthetic works perfectly because you, you've got the beard, you've got the long hair, you're jacked, the tattoos everywhere. And you, you're, a, you know, just to look at, you're a meathead, hmm. you know, and then people have that impression of you. And so that kind of helps the people not thinking you're going to be a pushover, you know, but then oh, you're, yeah. you, but then you bleed out with, you know, your, your cheesy smiling and hugging and just laughing and having a good time. You know, um, has that been something that you've seen a lot of lately now that everybody seems to be getting into the fitness realm? A lot of people kind of pushing back on you, trying to cut their own niche. Oh, the fitness space. And this is why I don't, I don't go on fitness podcasts or anything because I think most fitness people are fucking douchebags. And that's just kind of where, where my, my thought process is. I just don't think like a lot of these people think. Um, a lot of these fitness guys spend way too much time and way too much effort on this shit that really just doesn't matter. Um, and with that being, I've just been around the space long enough to know what works, what doesn't work. Um, I'm, I've been around long enough to know that everything can work if it's applied correctly and your nutrition and your rest all match. Um, you know, things that we're talking about fitness for a second, this is all that really matters. Making sure that your energy outputs matching your energy input. So if you're fucking eating 300 calories a day and trying to train like me, it's not going to work. If you're not eating carbs and trying to train like me, it's not going to work. No matter how hard people want to say, you're not deadlifting 600 pounds for 16 reps, but not eating carbs. Why? Because no one's ever done it. That's how I know why. So there's like a lot of things are more black and white in the fitness industry than what the fitness industry actually wants to make. But since you can, well, oh, there's this one case of this one guy who once did this. I'm like, listen, I'm not talking about Hercules. Okay. I'm not talking about that one case that I'm talking about the masses and what works for the 99.9% of people. So with that being said in the fitness space, I do see some pushback. Um, okay. You talked a little bit about my, my persona, right? How I look. I also think that's why I'm more loving than people notice is because when people typically look at me, I don't want to ever act like I'm an intimidating guy, but usually when people kind of, I, I get, I get the opportunity to meet hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the United States who come to our gym, obviously when this stuff's not going on, right. Who visit our gym and come hang out. And with that, like people are always, man, I was real nervous to come meet you. I just didn't know. And I was just like, and I think that's also why I try to put on the persona of like more loving and more kind because more people now have heard my story, at least people who are seeking me out or even in the gas station, you know, I get eyed up a little bit. People look at my tattoos and whatever. So I feel like that's also why I'm a little bit more on the, the, the loving side and the, you know, that how, because uh, of my persona, you know, kind of how I visually look. Yeah. You know, you, you are, you're hundred percent right with the people, you know, in the fitness industry, a lot of them are just fucking douchebags um, with the uh, my way is the right way, but they're just religiously keto or religiously paleo or religiously carnivore and all this other. And, you know, I, I think more of the fitness industry, you know, I'm glad it, and it's refreshing that I haven't seen this side from you. Um, they have this very weird relationship with food fucking weird dude it's it's weird yeah i mean it's it's like it's like the religion it's like their god they yeah. worship it like i'm in pretty damn good shape and i just eat i eat whatever the hell i want last night i ate so much freaking pasta i thought i was gonna die i couldn't breathe oh bro i yeah. saw you putting that shirt on with them fucking boulder shoulders <laughs> listen i hey. went to go dude i put my ankle up there i'm about broke my ankle again i said i can't do this right now jeff i'm about to break my ankle <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's nice to see someone in the fitness space that it just looks at it as if it works do it 
If it doesn't, don't. And leave it at that. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of the things that people are like, okay, getting a little bit closer to my realm of what I'm in inside of fitness. I'm in the strength realm of things, performance enhancing, right? Becoming the best, most strongest, most agile, fastest athlete I can become and my athletes to become. Now, when we get into strength sports, it gets into a whole new level of egotistical human beings. And it comes to these men who believe that their method is the end all be all method. If you don't do my method, you're an idiot. Uh, You don't know nothing. I've done and studied and programmed out so many different methods over the last 15 years, 14 years of strength training. It's ridiculous. And guess what? All methods have been able to work. Some methods are just more effective than other methods. The most effective method always is this. If you're trying to get stronger, the only thing that matters is what is weak. Whatever is weak needs strengthened. If you have the understanding of what weakness development exercise is going to strengthen your particular weakness, you will become stronger. The quickest example I can give that would be relatable to your listeners would be, let's say you're deadlifting and your hips come up three to four inches, and then you start to deadlift on a bar and your lower back always hurts. All you need to do is more hamstring work and more hip hinge work. So if you do good mornings and increase your hamstring work, you won't have that issue no more. If you feel, if you always have knee pain when you're squatting, you need to do two times the amount of hamstring work than what you're doing quad work. You do those two things, your knee pain goes away when you squat. There's no reason to have knee pain when you squat. The reason you have knee pain when you squat is because you don't know how to squat. You don't focus on your hamstring development. But people on social media will complicate the fuck out of that. I can just give someone, four, I give them three different exercises and tell them to do it for four weeks. They come back, their squats up 20 pounds and their knees don't hurt no more. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I, I'm not a squat guy. I'm not a squat guy. I don't have any cartilage in my knees. So squatting's not going to happen for me, you know, outside of like body weight squats, um, mainly because it's bone on bone and it just hurts like shit afterwards. But, you know, it there's things that I can do to supplement that. And it's very simple, you know, leg presses are fine and, you know, calf raises are fine and glute work is fine and, lower back work is fine. I can do all these things. Just that one movement kills my knees because it's bone grinding on bone. But I just, I I like the fact that it's something that those won't work for me, but there's simple alternatives. And you've got those guys who are in your space go, no, 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 do them anyway. Yeah, I, I'd rather be able to walk when I'm, when I'm 35. Most you know, I'd rather... <laughs> it's always the end goal too, right? It's, and I feel like this is something that I should definitely uh, preface. Everything, well, how should I put this? Every time I'm coaching somebody, it's always based around what their end goal is. Like Jeff, if you told me what's your end goal, Jeff, and your end goal is, hey, I just want to become a healthier, I want to be stronger, and I want to be healthy and be able to play with my nine kids and their grandkids, the forty-five thousand grandkids I'm going to have, eighty-one yeah. grandkids, seven hundred and twenty-nine great grandkids, it's going to be exponential all the way down. That's right, brother. The legacy will live forever. And you know, okay, you tell me your end goal. Now I'm going to base like I, I like for instance, I just got off a phone call, two phone calls this morning. A lot of my online coaching or my in-person coaching is now via uh we do them through facetime so basically they facetime me and i coach them there and they train in the garage well a couple of these guys are 45 to 50 years old none of them squat i don't have them doing max effort squats we'll do some belt squats maybe some goblet squats here and there but we're not max effort lower back squat low back low bar squatting there's no reason this guy doesn't have to have a max effort squat he's just got to be able to strong enough to be able to squat down and pick up some rocks in his lawn or whenever he's moving mulch lower lumbar's got to be strong enough to support the load that's all so with that being said, it's not like just because you work out, you don't have to squat, bench, and deadlift. This, this, uh, you saw me this last week. All I did was lift rocks overhead. I haven't bench pressed in four months, and I did 325 for 10 yesterday. It's like the, this, as long as we're changing our stimulus, as long as we're putting our body under stress, we're going to receive results. Yeah. yeah. Strength is all about time under tension. But what I like uh, about that is it, it – it, Time under tension equals strength, but not only just physically, you know, it, 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 time under tension equals strength, you know, spiritually, mentally, you know, and that's not just, you know, weight wise right now we're, you know, everybody's locked down. Everybody's panicking. You're going to come out stronger from the end. Under tension right now. You're right. We're under tension right now. 
I like to I like to say this to people about adversity. When it comes to adversity, just as if the weights are, the more resistance the body is under, the more it grows and the stronger it becomes. The more resistance and adversity you're under in your life, the more you'll grow and the stronger you'll become. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me just the other, I think it was yesterday or maybe early, early this morning. Um, you know, when they were, you know, they heard my story about, you know, being homeless and it, it all happened after I quit my job with the general contractor and all this other, they asked if, uh, I don't think I replied back to them, but they asked me uh, if I would still quit the general contractor job if I knew that it was going to lead me down you know, through homelessness and all that. And as crazy it is to say, yeah, I would because I can't being homeless for two years, you know, with a family, there's no way in hell I would be as strong as I am today up here and in here. If I hadn't have, you know, been forced to go through something like that, I don't think anything else in the world would have ever happened to me that would have been that hard and demanding. And, and, and how is things now um, since that demand, you know, with the misses and with the kids, like I know you're working on this book and how you're leading your home. How has that particular time in your life evolved your relationships that you have right now with your family? Well, you know, at first it destroyed everything. Like we talked about before us, you know, couldn't look my wife in the eye. couldn't look my kids in the eye, you know, self-hatred and loathing and shame and all this other. But when and Hunter Drew loves this phrase. I got a case of the fuck it's, you know, and I just started just trying again. I realized that everything that I made it through conditioned me to where trying didn't feel all that hard, mm. you know? And, I, and then I look back, I'm like, it sucked donkey balls, but I'm really glad it happened because I would have never had the strength to, start my own company to start another company with some business partners. Uh, I wouldn't have had the confidence to uh, do any of the things that I'm doing now. And I'm not saying the things we do now are any easy, right? They're not easy. Everything takes work, right? How much easier is it whenever you have something to look back on in your life? That was the pinnacle of stress, anger, hatred. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, fuck, I can work fucking all night tonight to get these orders out. Are you kidding me? I remember before that I was just fucking scraping and make a buck. Yeah. And see, I remembered that. And that's exactly where I was leading with this. A lot of people, you know, and I guess the guy was expecting me to go, oh, hell no, I never want to go through it again. But that's because a lot of people, they tend to shy away from anything that's hard. You know, oh, it's going to be hard. And oh, I, I wish I had never gone through that. Or I will never voluntarily go through this kind of struggle again. And I wouldn't voluntarily be homeless again. But if I knew that that path would lead where it did lead, hell yeah, I'd still make the same choices. You know, because I know that because now I have the hindsight that that suck only lasted for two years, you know. But people have this proclivity to just take the easy path. And they don't understand that if you take, if you constantly take the easy path, the path is just going to get hard at one point. You're not going to be strong enough to go through, mm. which is what you're saying now with everybody panicking about toilet paper and, you know, things like that. You know, the first thing that uh, the majority of the people down here uh, in the South where I live, the first thing they started doing is exactly what I did. Oh, there's a rush on food at the grocery store. Well, let's make sure we have ammo to hunt. Let's make sure we have a garden planted. That was the first thing they did. That was, it wasn't, it wasn't oh my God, what are we going to do? Like everybody's planting gardens and everybody's like making sure that, oh, you know, the 3,000 wild turkeys we have in the woods over here, you know, don't feed everybody. We're good. You know, it wasn't a shutdown panic. And, and I think it's because of the lifestyle here and in these type of communities, a lot of the people here are mill workers or were mill workers or, you know, grew up on farms and things like that. And they had to struggle and they had the, uh, the hard times, you know, you're saying I was, I was struggling to make a buck. I was making $56 a day take home swinging mm -hmm. a sledgehammer. All right. Cause it was a work today, get paid today place. Okay. Yeah. 
And so I'd go and I would work, get my ticket punch, take it back, and they'd cut me a check for 56 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Did that for two years. And people think I'm crazy because I say I want to do that. I would do that again. But if I hadn't gone through that, there's no way in hell I'd have rugged legacy. There's no way in hell I'd have, you know, a book out. There's no way in hell I'd be working on a second book. There's no way in hell my kids uh, and I would have the relationship we have now. Because even yeah. though I shattered that for a while, it made our relationship better when I was willing to come to them and fix it. It's, you know, it's, I, I think through such a similar perspective, man, I, I'm just so inspired listening to your story. You know, I just... I, is this, I mean, it's incredible, you know what I mean? To see what you've gone through and the perspectives that you have now. I, I talk, I, I've used this word perspective maybe a hundred times in this podcast because it's kind of what I base my entire life off of is how I see things. And every time I'm asked questions like, well, would you do, would you do all those drugs if you had a chance to go back? Like how much further could you be ahead? And I always joke with this one guy in my small group. I said, if you was my dad, I'd be the fucking president already. I said, my dad was in such a deadbeat, I could already have been the president. And he just laughs at me, whatever. And he goes, you know, we get into conversations. I said, man, I, wouldn't, I couldn't change the thing. And I actually, I can't even allow my mind to go back and think about it. Because everything I've done has led me into the, the position that I am now. And it's led me into the person that I am now. I can't take back anything because it's going to take away from who I, per I currently am now. And I was able to kind of recognize that because people hear about my reverse and say, oh, would you do something different? I, I, I don't think I would have done any less drugs. I think I would continue to continue to do the same amount of drugs. I would continue to live the, the, the many fights and to be in the coal mine and to work all those hours because they built this grit and determination in me now. And I don't want to act like I'm arrogant, but it's for me, when I get into a room with most anybody, uh, I, I had the honor one time and the privilege to have breakfast with Arnold Schwarzenegger for four hours and it was the coolest thing ever, right? But I'm How did that room. come about? I'm at Gold's Gym in Venice Beach working out. Arnold comes in. The guy I was business partners with, who's actually the president of that company that I was talking about, we ended up becoming business partners after. Him, Muscle Farm, had done business with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They knew each other. They linked up. Arnold invited us out to breakfast at this hotel. It'll be Arnold biked down. We sat there for four hours. But when I sat down with him, man, I'm with the dude. I read the first book I ever read was the Arnold Encyclopedia. That was the very first book I ever read. I'm like, this guy, I was the, he, the reason I'm here is because of him. Like, I, that's why I got into fitness and kept going into fitness, reading his books. And so I'm sitting there. And when I'm sitting there with him across the table, though, when he asked, like, he was, by the way, like the coolest freaking dude, man, like, such a cool guy so interested in me like what i had going on and he was talking all about powerlifting, and i was just like to be around someone at this level but after i left i realized like man i wasn't choked up i wasn't nervous i felt the entire time that i was supposed to be across the table from this guy everything in my life had led me to the position that i'm at right now i can't take fucking back nothing because it would have ruined all those special moments like on this podcast or hanging out with Arnold or whatever it looked like, it would have taken away both the glory of those moments, but also probably taken me away from those particular moments. Cause I went and had the grit, the determination, the willpower to put myself in the position I'm at right now. There's been so many times when I was working 20 hours a day in the coal mine, sorry, in the, at the gym to get my gym running or 16 hours a day in the coal mine. But really when I was working at the gym, like I just wanted to fucking, there were so many times where I was so wore out. I was so tired. I was like, this is not taking off. What's going on, man? Are you sure you're doing the right move? Are you sure you're going about the right way? That I wanted to quit, that I could have quit. But my willpower, my determination, all my adversity prepared me for those hard moments that I could keep pushing through it, man. Do you ever have these moments where you argue with yourself about quitting something? Oh, yeah. something, something that happens to me um, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm having a bad day, you know, at work. I'm tired. I'm sore, you know, just beat up, you know, my hands, you know, I, I lose feeling in my hands all the time now because I've got um, the, the, the on start of carpal tunnel from having to grip a hammer all freaking day. And, mm -hmm. you know, just a lot of manual labor with my freaking hands. And I'll be like, you know what? I've got vacation time. I've got, you know, this, 
you know, the point system we have or how, how many times you can leave work before you get fired and all this other shit. I've got, I've never used them. I've, so I can just leave whenever the hell I want, but I'll argue with myself. If you leave, you're a bitch. If mm. you quit, you're a bitch. And I'll get mad at myself because I won't let myself quit. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, yeah. You're it's pissed off. You're like, why do I have to be such a fucking asshole that I, well, I won't quit? Why do I got to? Dude, in the mirror, there's, I'm telling you, it's probably two or three times a month in the mirror. I wake up and I'm being a fucking pussy. I look at myself like, what the fuck you thinking, dude? You didn't fucking come this far to fucking bitch out now to start fucking having these self-sabotaging thoughts now. You fucking kidding me? You went, oh, dude, I'm always in my shit. I'm in my own ass far more than I've had anybody else in my own ass. But I also recognize that that's stuff that I have to do to keep myself in check. Because just as you said earlier, everyone's running from adversity, from resistance, from discomfort. So are we. You know, we're no different from it. The choice, right. the difference is we don't choose to. We have the same thoughts as everybody else. You think I don't want to sit up on the fucking couch, smoke me a nice doobie and fucking drink a beer? watch the cows go by. I would love that life, but I fucking can't do it. I got to get my ass up and I got to fucking get done what I need to get done because my goals matter way more to me than my thoughts than my feelings. If I only did things when I felt good, I fucking wouldn't do shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it's, I, I start having like these little bitch thoughts and then I'll get mad at myself for having these bitch thoughts. And I talk myself out of not quitting and then the other side of me is mad at myself for talking myself out of quitting. It's like, God, why did he have to bring that up? Son of a bitch. He's right. Like I'm mad because I'm right. Yep. You know, mental and, warfare and it's constant, but it's just something that I think is, you know, with people with your background, people with my background or people background, similar to ours, they have those moments where they argue with themselves about wanting to quit. And then they get mad that they were wanting to quit. They argue that point. And then they're mad. Like, why do I have to not allow, why am I the kind of guy that will not allow myself to quit? Because I want to relax so bad, but this other guy is right. You know, the other guy in the mirror is right and he won't let me. And so they get pissed off with it. But I did that even to the point of like my strength training where my hips hurt so bad. I'm like, why? Like, why did I, I, I was never bow-legged. I'm bow-legged now. I mean, dozens of 700 pound squats and deadlifts at 180 pound body weight is hard on the hips. It's hard on the knees. Like nah, I can imagine, day. well, I can't imagine, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I take your word. It's, it's yeah. hard on the body. And there's times I wake up in the morning and fucking everything hurts. And you know, my, I had a slip disc last year and fucking pulled 585 a couple weeks later anyways. And it's like, well, why do I do this? What, what, why do I fucking do this to myself? And then I start realizing, don't be a fucking pussy. I tweeted this a while ago. I was going through my shit the other day looking. And I said, uh, this guy tells me, and it was, it was a good point. You know, he said, hey, you keep training that way, dude. You ain't going to be able to walk by the time you're my age. I looked him dead in the eye, bro. I said, then I'll fucking walk. Or I said, then I'll fucking crawl. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, kind of gave me this look. And uh, Ronnie Coleman gave me a lot of perspective. This guy's had like 500 surgeries. And he's just, uh, you know, he's a the real good body butt or whatever. Oh yeah. He's a beast. Ronnie right. Coleman is like, I mean, if you don't know who Ronnie Coleman is, get the hell out of here. Right. They ask him though, they go, you know, is it all worth it? All these surgeries and all these Olympias, he's like to be the greatest bodybuilder ever lived. Of course it's worth it. Like I saw him at Gold's gym that same day that I saw Arnold and he looked absolutely awful. And I questioned everything that day. I'm not going to lie. I questioned everything. I'm not, no, here's the deal. A little big difference between me and Ronnie Coleman I'm not running nearly that, you know, I'm not the running fucking 800 pound squats and deadlifts all the time. And he's on so much drugs and shit. Like there's a big difference in between the way I operate and he did. But regardless, all the amount of tension on the body over the years is going to cause some wear and tear, you know, and that's the thing with being a show pony. You can, the show pony is what I call this for your listeners is somebody who just lives for aesthetic purposes, who looks really great with their shirt off, but they'll get their ass whipped by some farm boy in a heartbeat who has a beer gut and drinks six beers and smokes weed every day. It's just, a, it's the way it goes. But also right? turn around and throw 30 bales of hay on the back of a truck without, you know, breaking a sweat. Yeah. Fucking right. He will. Not a problem, dude. Dead the 500 and kick your ass. That's just kind of people, you know, that's just the kind of people that are, but the aesthetically pleasing guy looks as if he's the, the tougher or the, whatever that might look like. And now the aesthetic lifestyle, if you, if you're, you haven't, if you're logical and you truly think through that perspective, 
is the route to go. You can look good. You can be healthy. You can probably live a, a good, long, hard life. But there, to me, there's no legacy behind that. You know, I want to, I want to leave a late dude. That Zach, I'm going to do fucking strong. You know, when he shows up, he's winning. He's not losing. It doesn't matter if he was hurt last year. He's going to show up the New York strongest man to fucking win. You know, when I, and that was something I've always kind of built myself off of, no matter what my circumstances or situations were, or how bad I had to hurt, I was going to show up and do it anyway. Yeah. I've always looked at it. Uh, Cause every single job I've ever had outside of being like a grocery store butcher um, or when I worked for the state department of health before I was general contractor, every single job I've had has required, you know, strength and, you know, endurance and grit and all this other, but I look at it as you've got the tanks and then you've got Ferraris, you know, the Ferraris will zip by the tanks can drag buildings, but then you've got guys in the middle who are just the four by fours. We're not the fastest, you know, we can we can still hit eighty five on the highway, but we can also pull a five thousand pound trailer if we have to. It's, I love you know, this analogy. I love where this is going. <laughs> becoming the four by four is what matters. Bro, you know? you, that's it. I love that. I love that analogy. Becoming the four by four. You know, because I train a lot of people who who are the Ferraris. Like when my buddy Alex, for instance, uh, I make fun of him all the time for being a show pony. He's one of my clients, but I still make fun of him for having all. I make fun of guys for looking better than me. How 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 self conscious can I be? <laughs> we we are guys. We're not going to give anybody credit for shit. But I love that analogy of trying to become a four by four. You know, you want to be strong. You still want like. At the end of the day, as I, as I talk about being stronger, I still want to have abs. I still want to look really good. Like these are all things that I still want to, you know, I still want to have and do. But along the way too, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be that. Like you said, that four by four. I want to be able to fucking still be able to pull five thousand pounds and still get up to eighty five. I gotta. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. steal that one. <laughs> you can have it. I think I stole it from someone else. I don't even know. <laughs> but. Uh... You know, we're coming up on the hour mark. Uh, would have been a lot sooner, but we couldn't get your audio to work. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we go, uh, what has, if you could sum it all up between starting off and, you know, what we'll call the starting point, you know, your coal mining job. Starting off there, eventually getting to where you own and operate Iron Valley Barbell hitting the records that you've hit with your lifts and being a strong man out of all of that, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through all of that, that led you to where you are today that you can share with the guys listening who are on a similar kind of path. The biggest lesson, biggest lesson I've learned from, both the, so the coal mine, just a little backstory. So the coal mining 12 hours a day, I would get out of the coal mines I'd have, I'd be starving, you know, having ate all day, basically barely getting any lunch. I get out, I get two junior bacon cheeseburgers and I head right to the gym and I'd start working out anyways. I was disciplined and I was committed. Uh, when it came to opening the gym, I'd work 16 to 20 hours a day. So my lifts went down a ton. I was on my way. I squatted 720 in the gym. And 7.30 was the all-time world record at my weight. I was 10 pounds away right before I opened the gym. I said, once I open my gym, I'll be able to hit right there. I didn't account for all the hours I had to put in, and my lift went down. But I kept going, kept grinding, I kept pushing. I didn't rely on motivation at that time. I kept going to the gym and kept training hard. I stayed disciplined. And, you know, when it came to, to strongman training, I switched from powerlifting into strongman. So... When I went from powerlifting to strongman, I sucked at a lot of the exercises. Like I sucked at carrying things that are very heavy, very fast. And I was unmotivated because my knees always hurt because I turned myself bow-legged over all the years of powerlifting. So, you know, I'm in this current process of now reframing my structure to be even better than I can be a strongman. And there's so many mornings that I wake up that I'm just not motivated. I have no motivation to do anything. People go, oh, Hummel, well, how do you stay so motivated? how do you just stay so motivated to go to the gym all the time? And I want to tell all those people through all this time of, you know, you're going to go ups and downs in your life and through every different endeavor you go on, you have ups and downs. And if you constantly rely on motivation, you're constantly going to fail. You can't be motivated. You've got to be committed. And when it comes to commitment, that goes down to self integrity. You have to have integrity. If you say you're going to do something, 
you have to be a man of character and a man of integrity. If I say I'm going to open this gym, that's my word. That's all I have. I stand behind my word. So it's not to rely on motivation. It to be relied on commitment. I like that. I think that goes into uh, what we were just talking about earlier, and it's a perfect spot to wrap it. Um, about, you know, you argue with yourself when you have the moments of weakness, but you gave yourself your word, and a man's word is really all he has. So if you're committed to doing it, you'll just do it, whether it sucks or not. Definitely. Yeah. I like that. Love it, bro. But, uh, Thanks for having me on the podcast, dude. I'm glad that we we're actually finally able to connect, make this happen. Yeah, man. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Definitely, dude. This is, I feel like we have plenty of things to talk about. I kind of feel like we just scratched the surface on a few things today. Yeah, probably. Uh, I was actually surprised to see how similar our backgrounds were. Uh, this is the first time we've ever actually talked, you know, outside of text messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And we just started texting just recently. Yeah. <laughs> so, been, but I have been following you on social media. I know we've been following each other on social media. But I like, like all this stuff you're about. As soon as I actually found you on social media, it was like kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, I like this little side of Twitter. Because, um, you know, a lot of my side of Twitter is just, just fitness guys. And I saw you kind of come into that mix of this little corner. I'm like, oh, sweet. I like this guy a lot. And, you know, I could tell from the first time that uh, I saw your stuff and everything you're about. I'm like, yeah, we drive together good. Hey, I dig it, brother. Oh, yeah, brother. But, uh, for those of you watching, for those of you listening, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit like, subscribe, leave a comment. Um, if you're listening on Apple Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, any of these uh, platforms, leave a review. They really help uh, help get the message out. Share the episode. Um, if you want to connect with Zach, you can do that. Uh, there'll be a, some show notes and some links where you can find him. He also has his own podcast. It's like a mini podcast, and I like it. Thanks, bro. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, the Zach Hummel Show. Uh, but um, those, those will be in the show notes and also where you can find and connect with him on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, this is the 22nd episode of the Rugged Legacy Podcast. And this is going to be Jeff and Zach signing off. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash rugged legacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.